lack of resolution in that hymn reminds me that all is not resolved in Advent either. We continue to wait for that resolution. I'm going to tell you about Lily and Jake. Lily had liked Jake from their early days in high school study hall. They went out to lunch with others and flirted now and then, but Lily knew that Jake was out of her league, too cute, too popular, too fun, and pursued nothing further. Life moved them through high school, through college, into adulthood, into the life of the work world. With Lily's continued fond thoughts of Jake, but no change to their relationship, until they both attended a Christmas party of some mutual friends. That night was a turning point. That night, Jake and Lily started a deeper relationship. They found that they could talk for hours, sharing their stories, sharing their thoughts and questions about God and their relationship with each other, and even their annoyances and frustrations with other things and with each other. And Lily tapped into that old and deep longing for Jake's attention and presence. As the time that they spent together increased, they expressed their care and appreciation for one another, but they had not used the word love. One day after many months, though, in simple conversation, the words, I love you, flowed surprisingly comfortably from Jake's lips. Wow, Lily thought, that sounded nice. And she had wondered whether her feelings for Jake were that deep. And now that he had said it out loud, she knew they were. It was right. And Lily could say, I love you too, honestly and easily. It was as if her heart had known it, but only when she heard Jake express it out loud did it become obvious and true. The people who had gone out into the wilderness to hear this prophet called John the Baptist had a heartfelt experience similar to Lily's. John was preaching about a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, but also he was responding to Isaiah's prophecy to prepare the way of the Lord so that all flesh would see the salvation of the Lord. And so people are leaving their homes in town and streaming out to the wilderness to listen to John and to be baptized by him in the Jordan River, which looks great from a distance, but you zoom in and John questions their motives. So that's why you have to be really dramatic when you say, you brood of vipers. It's as if he's saying your attempts to flee from judgment by being baptized are like snakes attempting to slither away from an encroaching forest fire. It's as if John is a sergeant at a boot camp trying to weed out the weak recruits. In the movie Cold Comfort Farm, there's a scene where Sir Ian McKellen, as the character Amos Starkadder, is on his way to preach at the Church of the Quivering Brethren. And when his cousin Flora, who's newly in from the city, asks why they're called Quivering Brethren, Amos says, why? Because they quiver when they prepare for torment. 
And as he starts his sermon, his words of judgment equal John the Baptist's, ye miserable crawling worms. Are you here again then to hear what's coming to you? And the heads in the pews at the little church immediately began vibrating and people are quivering, quivering. And the over-dramatization makes it funny. But it's also amusing to imagine who would make it a point to leave their comfortable homes, or not so comfortable even, but to go and listen to such harsh judgment. It's the same thing we wonder about the crowds who are going out to gather around John the Baptist. Is there something within us then that craves this articulation? Something within us that knows that we deserve the coming wrath? And when someone else articulates it, we can say, oh yeah, that snake is me. I want my motives to be pure, but they're not. I covet things I can't or shouldn't have. I want to be generous, but I also want to hold tightly to what I have and gather more. This week's mass murder in Newton appalls and stuns us and reminds us how selfishness can deepen to perverse levels. If harsh judgment was John's entire message, we would be among the quivering brethren. But thankfully, it's only the introduction. And there is an antidote for our selfishness. On Wednesday nights over the last few weeks, the group has been viewing and discussing the Advent Conspiracy series. The authors learned that, on average, somewhere in the world, a child dies every 15 seconds from lack of clean water. One man in the video talked about thinking about this on his 20-minute commute to work and did the math. One child dies every 15 seconds. That's 80 children on his way to work and 80 children on his way home. As Advent Conspiracy was taking shape, the authors tell us that a group had gone to Liberia to assess the water crisis there, and they were already planning in their churches to celebrate Christmas differently by funneling some of their resources away overconsumption, and toward those who might be considered the least of these around the world. At one village they stopped, they were welcomed warmly, and they were led through the tall grasses to what they referred to as their well. And it sat next to a swamp that leached disease into the water from which the families drew their water every day. This stagnant gray-green pool infested with insects, was all that these people had. So the group of Americans listened as the village chief told them of those who had died recently because of the illnesses that came from drinking the water. And standing with them in their small circle was a man whose son had just died from a waterborne disease. The faces of the elders were somber and hopeless and resigned to the fact that burying their children would always be a part of their lives. Now, those who had gone from the states knew that in several weeks their churches would be taking Christmas offerings and they were going to be partnering with a company called Living Water International 
to bring water and a new well to that village. And so through a translator, they shared that good news with the chief and with his elders, but the chief simply stared at them. And the translator and the Americans were a little puzzled by his lack of emotion, and so they asked the chief if he understood what this would mean for all his people. And his response was this, Others have made promises in the name of this Jesus, but they were never kept. People in need have heard plenty of empty promises. Perhaps we all have. John is talking about integrity. As he pushes the message that repentance expresses itself in action, bear fruits worthy of repentance, the people are curious. Well, what what does that mean? What then shall I do? What does that mean in my life? What do I need to change? And John addresses our hoarding instincts when he says, if you have two coats, share with someone who has none. And the same with food. In other words, don't be greedy and take more than you need. Share. Don't be corrupt. Be satisfied with your wages. And as the crowds heard John, I think they felt like Lily did when Jake told her he loved her. They didn't know how to articulate it, or they didn't have the courage to articulate what should be done or what should change in their lives. And so when he, when John spoke these truths, it was right. They felt it deeply. And the next paragraph doesn't begin. They walked away because they had many positions. Or they tried to drown John in the river. The next paragraph begins, the people were filled with expectation. It's as if they were leaning forward on tiptoe, waiting to hear what else John would say that would bring their deepest knowledge and feelings to light. And another longing and truth was realized when John announced the coming of another, more powerful than him, more holy than him, and perhaps even more judgmental than him. But even this was good news, because this one would fulfill their deepest longings to refine them, to cleanse them, to immerse them in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is good news, worth telling and worth living. The pastors involved in Advent Conspiracy wrote that a few months after Christmas, they received word from Living National that the funds they had collected in December were now being used to dig wells in Liberia. And it was happening because children on the other side of the world saved their pennies, families celebrated Christmas differently, students creatively pooled their resources, and churches took offerings. People in Western Africa who these folks would never meet this side of heaven, were about to be loved in a practical and biblical way. Cup after cup of clean water would be given in the name of Jesus. And who knows where those conversations might lead. The first well was dug for a village that used to drink from a swamp. 
and for a chief who had given up on the name of Jesus. We cannot afford for the world to give up on the name of Jesus. Jesus came to change the world, and it happens now through us. Zephaniah, as the last book in the Hebrew Testament, invites people to sing aloud and shout, rejoice and exult with all your heart. The Lord has taken away your judgments, the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. The Lord your God is in your midst. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. Back to our couple, Lily and Jake. Our longing for Jesus is deeper, but not that different from Lily's longing for Jake's attention and presence. It's a yearning for love to be not just understood in our minds, but felt throughout our beings. It's a yearning for love to be obvious. But only when Lily opened herself to these deep emotions and the potential pain they cause could that love be expressed. The antidote for our selfishness we see in the life of Jesus Christ. It's in giving ourselves away. Giving creates joy not just within the recipient of our gifts, but also within us. Giving is paradoxical because you somehow end up with more than you had at the beginning. Maybe not more stuff or more money, but more peace and more hope and more love. Jesus would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And with Jesus coming, the Lord our God is in our midst. We know this deep within us, and John and Zephaniah articulate it for us, that the Messiah has come. God has given Jesus, and Jesus has given us his life, and he is with us now. And since others have the same longings that we do, let us not fail them and withhold the good news of this great peace in word and in deed. They may just need someone to say it out loud. Let's pray together. Eternal God, we recognize our unworthiness and we recognize your worthiness and we recognize our yearning to be like you and to be loved the way you love us. But sometimes we don't feel it. We pray that you would help us to open ourselves in new ways to you and to others and to Jesus so that we might become more like him this season. We pray in his holy name. Amen.